This episode of Bradley's House Podcast is brought to you in part by our friends at HeyGoodFarms.com. HeyGood Farms' goal has always been to provide hemp products that improve your quality of life. And their process is really the difference maker. HeyGood Farms handles your product from the dirt all the way to delivery. This ensures a top quality product every time. And all their hemp comes from the same process, from the same facility, ensuring consistency in every order. Check out HeyGoodFarms.com. That's H-A-Y-G-O-O-D-F-A-R-M-S.com. And check out their incredible line of gummies, cartridges, oils, skincare, capsules, and even a line of products for our furry friends in the pet care section. The point of using CBD is to make sure that you're not putting bad stuff into your body. So check out HeyGoodFarms.com. You can see their lab results, reviews, and read more about their process and what makes HeyGoodFarms.com the leader in the CBD and hemp industry. We thank Hey Good Farms for sponsoring this podcast and working with the Knoll Family Foundation in getting Bradley's house open to help us in our war against opioids. Hey, everybody, this is Derek McBride of Tropodelic, and you are listening to the Bradley's House Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. Come on in, make yourself at home as you should when you're a guest in Bradley's house. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. She is the executive director of the Knoll Family Foundation and our host, Ms. Kelly Knoll. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing really great, Jared. How are you? I'm always excited when we're recording new episodes <laughs> of Bradley's house. Um <laughs> I did just have to kill a spider, which I, I feel like I just need to confess right off the bat. If I sound a little flustered to the audience today, it's because I just had to kill a spider. You're saying confess. I'm saying brag. You're bragging <laughs> that you got up and took care of that and took care of that spider. Oh, oh. I, I like to, to hear that. I had to. You know, I record this in my bedroom. And so the idea that while we're talking with our guests, that spider might get away. And then somehow be lurking in my bedroom while I sleep was completely unacceptable. So, well, gosh, could yeah. you could you imagine? No, no, no. Let's not let's <clears throat> not go there. I'm I'm kind of sorry I even brought it up. All right, I just feel a little flustered, and I felt like I had to explain it to the audience, although it probably no, was yeah, totally they, unnecessary. They, no, they should they should they should know where you're at, <laughs> where your mind's at while you're doing this. I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, well, we have a. We've had stage. Yes. And we have had such a big month. February was huge. There was so much going on. We had a great time at Cali Vibes. We had a wonderful show at Alex's. Again, big thanks to Alex and all of his crew there who were so fabulous for us. Mm. Had just a phenomenal experience with so many people. Had an incredible birthday bash for Bradley at Sea Legs that burritos played at. And it's just, it was a great month. And I'm so excited to be starting out March with a guest that you and I have been talking about ever since the start having on the show. Gosh, I, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so excited about this episode and I think all of our listeners are really gonna, uh, are really gonna enjoy this one. And I've, uh, I've asked, you know, a million times, Kelly, what about Paul? Cause I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know him. I'm not fancy like you, but can you, can you reach out? Can we get him? And, uh, We've had a bunch of crazy things that have happened, but here we are. And uh, yes. so I guess without any further ado, Kelly, who's this week's house guest? I am so excited that today we have the legendary musician and producer, best known uh, as the lead guitarist of the Butthole Surfers, who I have, have been listening to for years, and also a producer of a bunch of songs and albums by a number of bands that people would know. I think most notably U2, Meat Puppets, Pepper, Slightly Stupid, and of course, Sublime from Austin, Texas. We have Paul Leary with us today. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. 
you are the greatest. You are a legend <laughs> in in the circles in which we roam. And you know the whole reggae rock community that um, you know Sublime was so influential in at the at the very beginnings of it. And you were such a big part of that, not just with Sublime, but with so many other bands, Pepper and Slightly Stupid, and all that. Um, you really are a legend. And uh, so thank you for taking the time to do this with us. It really means a lot. Gee, after all that flattery, I don't know what else I can say. <laughs> well, you well, cracked me up in one of your messages. You're like, I don't really know what I have to talk about, but okay. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> a year and a half, we've been talking about how great it would have to, be, have, to have you on the show. And you're like, well, I don't know. If that, but I think that's always the um, the indicator of a good guest, someone who's humble enough to feel like they really don't have much to contribute, but in reality, they're the ones that everybody wants to hear from. So I, I do appreciate that. Now, sure. you live in Austin, Texas. Is that where you're originally from? I grew up in San Antonio and then uh, couldn't wait to get out of San Antonio. And the, the butthole servers were my ticket out of Dodge. Ah, nice. And the song that, that I think the butthole servers are probably best known for, of course, is Pepper. How did that? That wasn't at the beginning of your career, though, there, was it? Uh, that was that was towards the end of our yeah of our career. Well, although we had we had years after that, but they were pretty torturous. Oh God, that's a good way to describe <laughs> it. And, and that was, I'm guessing, that was around mid '90s that Pepper came out. '96. It came okay. out this this same year as uh, self titled. Wow, wow, that's crazy. I I never made that connection. Interesting. And when did you start playing with Butthole Surfers? In uh, 1981. Wow. How'd you get started with that band? Well, uh, I was friends with Giddy Haynes in college, uh-huh. and after we graduated, he got a he got a job with a top accounting firm, and I was working at a lumberyard and didn't really get a job coming out of college. And he kept trying to talk me into playing guitar in his new band that he wanted to make, and I, I put him off for the longest time. And then one day, I just broke down and picked up a guitar and started playing with him, and it just and we never stopped. It just worked. Huh? Were you playing guitar before then? I mean, had you had you dabbled a little, or yeah, you know, I started I started playing guitar in, in like nineteen sixty three. You know, I saw okay. I, I saw Elvis, and I had to have a, an acoustic uh, guitar, and then I, and then I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan mm, show, and made mm-hmm. my parents buy me an electric guitar, and <laughs> I I played in school bands, you know, starting in the third grade, and and then again wow. in the fifth grade, and and then uh, played in stage band in high school, and then just lost interest and, and gave it up for college. And then after college, I picked it up again. So I, I think, I think that little four or five year break did me a lot of good because I was feeling kind of stale and music mm-hmm. in general was seeming kind of stale. And then along came punk rock and everything became interesting and fun again. Mm. Renewed your passion for it, huh? <laughs> yeah. And now who was writing the music? Were you part of writing the music? Well, I, I think writing is a, a generous term. But, uh, you know, we'd, we would we would get together in a practice room and just start making as much noise as possible until the police would shut us down. They usually did that by just turning the electrical breaker off outside the house. And then we knew it was over. <laughs> wow. we, had, we, had, we had a little Sony Sony cassette recorder that we'd record our practices. And then we listen back to it at the, at the end of the day and see if there's anything worth trying to hold on to. And, mm. you know, and if there was any anything being sung, try to figure out what it was being sung. And usually... You know, it was just a lot of screaming, and then we would kind of pitch in with our ideas of what was really being screamed, and then songs would get developed that way. It's we're not the best songwriters. What can I say? <laughs> I don't know. You've got a, a one or two classic songs, if not more. So I think I think you're not not doing yourself enough justice. And then when did you start producing? Uh, that would have been um, like the late 1980s. You know, I'd been producing Butthole Surfers albums, even though I didn't really know know it you know but you didn't realize I didn't that's know what you were doing i didn't know what a producer yeah. was or any of that stuff and and somewhere along the the late 1980s i, I started listening to this uh bluegrass band called bad livers that would that would play every week here in town and they were just phenomenal they, they were a lot of fun i mean it was wasn't just bluegrass music i mean they were covering hendrix and doing all kinds of neat stuff wow. and uh one night in a drunken fit i told them that I would pay for studio time to record an album if they let me produce it. And they, they agreed. So that was the first album that I produced. Wow. And how'd uh, that go? Well, it, it went well. I'm still proud of that project. And one of the good things that happened after that was um, um, 
my good friends, the Meat Puppets, they were already they were on a major label before us, and you know they'd recorded and they wanted to make another album, and they were looking for a producer, and they liked the Bad Livers album, so they asked if I would be interested in producing for them, and and so every, everything in my production career kind of goes back to working that one job for free. Wow, that was a good choice, a good drunk super. Back, <laughs> now now I'm back to working for free. <laughs> all come full circle huh yeah i don't care (laughs) so tell us about what i think a a lot of people who listen to the show will be especially interested in because um you know we do this show to raise awareness for bradley's house and the Knoll family foundation we're trying to raise money to to open bradley's house which will be a six-bed treatment facility for people in the music industry that are struggling with addiction and don't have the money to get the help they need and so that was that was why we started this podcast to really help spread the word. So we naturally have have drawn a lot of people from the Sublime community because you know that's that's our family. So a lot of them, of course, would know the work that you did with Sublime. How did that come about? Well, I was working on a, a, another Meat Puppets album after the, the first one I produced went gold and had a radio hit. So I was their choice for the next album after that, and so I went out to. I went out to Tempe, Arizona to record with them in a recording studio out there. And I had a rental car and a hotel room. And every day I'd drive to the studio and this AM station played a lot of punk music and they played date rape like mm. 50 times a day. And so I was guaranteed <laughs> to hear it at least once or twice a day, just on my oh, drive. <laughs> and the, the song really stood out. I just loved yeah. it. It was, it was so fresh and, and so much fun to listen to. And, and one evening I was driving home from work and I heard it again. And then I get to my ho- hotel room and there was a message for me that from my agent saying that uh, Sublime was interested in having me work with them. And I, boy, I was floored. So I just, you know, I, I didn't have to, to listen to anything. I already knew the answer. And I, that was yes. So you were already familiar with them because of hearing date rape. I was familiar with date rape and that was about it. They, okay. they sent me, they sent me what was supposed to be a, what they said was a demo. And I get this tape and I put it in and it was the songs that David Kahn produced. Oh gosh. You know, it was sort of what I got. I listened to that and was immediately intimidated. I was like, man, you guys are crazy to call me. You should stick with, <laughs> you should stick with this guy. I mean, he's this he's just fantastic. And they, they explained, no, that, uh, David Kahn liked to use drum loops and they wanted a live drum drumming kind of album and they liked the meat puppets. So they were impressed enough with my work with the meat puppets to, to give me a call. That was a, one of the luckiest days of my life. Wow. Well, that's cool. So obviously um, skipping ahead, you know, the, the, the backstory is, as most people I'm sure know is that Brad got really strung out at Paternalis where you guys were recording, but, but prior to that, um, just that whole process of of working with the band. How was that going? Well, uh, prior prior to the recording session, I I flew out to Long Beach for what was supposed to be a week of pre production with the band, and I had my notebooks and my tapes and was ready to listen to them practice and go over the songs. And I, I get out there and I couldn't get a hold of the band. And uh, the next the next day, I tried getting a hold of the band again and still no luck. And then the next day after that, and it was like day three or day four, I finally got a hold of them. They said, well, let's, let's meet up for breakfast. And they named this place. And I went over there and joined them for breakfast. And this place served like giant schooners of beer. And, you know, after several large schooners of beer, um, Eric and Bud decided they wanted to go surfing in Mexico. So they took off. And so that was it for, for listening to the band practice and, oh, and that left me to hang out with, with Bradley for a couple of days. How was that? <laughs> oh, it was, it was really interesting. I mean, uh, uh, you know, he, uh, I, one of the things I remember was going to a taco stand to get lunch and he went to the, went up to the window and started speaking fluent Spanish. And that just, mm. you know, it just blew me away. It's like, wow, <laughs> way to pick, way to pick that up, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I got to see his house and and his and his beautiful wife and baby, and and was really impressed with with how he was getting getting it going. And you know, he he seemed somewhat clean at the time, but I you know I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and um, it was kind of the point to where I wasn't sure if making an album was the best thing to do. That you know, I, 
wondered what was best for Bradley. And that was a, that was a tough call, but you know, there's other people involved that were counting on this record and, and their families and on and on and, and just kept trudging through it. And the music that was being recorded was just so amazing. You know, that kind of, that kind of kept, kept everything together was just the sheer quality of their playing. Yeah. Obviously it was, it was somewhat groundbreaking the work that you were doing with them, because here we are 25 years later and people still listen to it, still talk about it, still finding new fans. That's, that's got to feel pretty gratifying. It is. And it's a bit shocking too. You know, I, I remember where I was when I got the phone call that that Bradley had passed. I was in Belgium doing a festival with the butthole surfers and Mm -hmm. uh, just, it was so crushing to hear that. And so I just figured that would be the end of it. And nobody would ever hear that music. Yeah. I think the record label probably agreed with you at the time too. I see yeah, that's, all, what, that's yeah. what I heard. They were pretty devastated, never really expected it to go anywhere. But yeah, the story I heard was that Miguel managed to get a hold of a program director for K-Rock or something like that and played, played the songs for him. And, and that got him on the radio. And then that changed Universal's mind, something like that. Is that what you heard? Well, I think at that point they had they had really only had date rate played on the radio, and so yeah, I'm not really sure how the the new album got pushed. Although that makes just as much sense to me as anything. Miguel was always a big part of everything happening with the band, and so yeah, he, yeah. he really held those guys together. He was amazing. He did. He <laughs> he was Nothing. and is amazing. He's done a lot for for my nep- nephew Brad's son Jacob as well, which is has been really special. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Now, I'll tell right. you, Paul, Miguel's a, Miguel's a huge fan of yours, obviously. Um, this is one of my favorite Sublime stories. Is I guess it was about 10 years ago. Um, I started making a little bit of money in life and buy some things that I like and in these little Sublime circles on the internet. And, hey, this guy works with Miguel. And, uh, you know, for a certain price, you can get one of those signed record store day uh, vinyls. And I'm like, yeah, of course I want one sold. So I wait patiently. I wait patiently. Box arrives. I open it up. There's my record store vinyl. And written across the front in Sharpie is... Always listen to Butthole Surfers. <laughs> Bless his heart. So that was my very first piece of like sublime type memorabilia or autograph or anything. And it was uh, Miguel making sure that I always listen to Butthole Surfers. So love that story. <laughs> Bless his heart. He deserves an awful lot of credit for, for what the band was able to accomplish. Absolutely. I don't think I don't think they could have held it together without him. I agree with you. I really do, especially in the early years. He was he was a big part of that, and um, you know, definitely the the family and the people in the inner circle all recognize that. And and I think other you know, it's starting to spread. More people are starting to realize what a big part of of the band's legacy Miguel has been. So that's that's really cool. Uh, he certainly contributed a lot in the recording process, and he you know he had a such a grip on what the band wanted to sound like and be like that it, it helped me out quite a bit. And so he was, he was like a, a, a guiding force. And then he was also there to just kind of keep things from getting out of control. Like, uh, <laughs> like one, one of my favorite stories, I mean, it wasn't my favorite story at the time it happened, but I, I come into the Pedernales studio, which is, you know, owned by Willie Nelson. And there's all uh-huh. this Willie Nelson memorabilia everywhere. And I came in one day and, looked up on the wall there's a poster of uh, a Willie Nelson 4th of July picnic that had a picture of Willie dressed up as Uncle Sam and uh, I looked at it and someone had had sharpied a, a Hitler mustache oh, on no. Willie oh, no. and, I mean it's it was a cool poster you know like I'm sure it was even worth something you know it was a you know oh. from like 1976 or something and oh, boy, I, I just I just about lost it I almost ended the project right there oh I'm sure and, and uh, Miguel stepped up and, and he said, Get, give me time to make this right. And I had no faith that he could make it right. But he went out and bought some like colored pencils and, and pens and chewing gum and, and worked, worked on it for a few hours. And when I came back, it looked 
like it had never happened. I mean, you had to look wow. really, clo really close to see that. <laughs> He's a man of many talents. I wish I had that poster now. <laughs> <laughs> that would really be I've heard you tell a story, didn't Bud and Eric almost burnt the damn studio down with a towel? Oh, yeah. Band, right? Oh, yeah. There was a, it was a neat studio. It was, it had been a country club and when Willie bought it and it had like an Olympic sized swimming pool shaped like a dog in the back and downstairs it had a billiard table and a sauna and uh, those guys like to hang out in the sauna. And one day after hanging out in the sauna, we're in the studio and all of a sudden we smell smoke and somebody had draped a towel over a light bulb. Oh gosh! <laughs> oh god! And they and they and they managed to wreck the bumper of the the studio's truck that the studio loaned them and oh. trashed a few uh, sets of condominiums. They weren't oh. they weren't supposed to they weren't supposed to bring dogs and of course they brought all their dogs and the dogs of were course. just just like them you know. Yeah. <laughs> dogs were just like them. That's my favorite line so far. Yeah, you know that. So lion, those guys are so sweet and so wonderful and good, but you know, things get broken around them. <laughs> yeah, they do. Just poorly behaved, but but good intentioned, perhaps. <laughs> Maybe. Oh god. Yeah, I mean, like I can remember taking uh taking him to my favorite Mexican restaurant in town in Austin, and of course Bradley insisted on bringing Lou Dog in the restaurant with him. And I don't mm -hmm. know how he got the dog in there, but as soon as we're in the restaurant, he's immediately trying to eat food off of everybody's table, and his tail oh, is not his tail is knocking stuff off of other tables. And we got we all got kicked out. <laughs> Big shock. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say I don't that that doesn't shock me at all. Um, Paul, when you think back at that studio sessions, and uh, obviously the stories go, there is a lot of amazing stuff done there, uh, and I'm sure you dealt with a ton of horse shit. Um, but when we talk about the music and the amazing stuff, was there a moment that you remember um, seeing Brad get up and, and record a song or come up with a, a new verse or something where you were just like, holy shit, we've, we've definitely got something here? You know, you would think that, but it was such a circus that I was all of my efforts and attention were were going into just trying to keep the session on track and get things done. And I didn't have time to consider things like that at all. Now, did your time with the Butthole Surfers prepare you for any of this? <laughs> I mean, well, like you weren't exactly um, a stranger to chaos. No, not at all. I, it, it, I'm sure that was very helpful, you know, but, you know, in the buttholes, I was also adding to the chaos myself. Mm. As opposed but, to trying to control it. But yeah, you know, I've similar experiences uh, between the, the butthole surfers and the meat puppets and sublime. And that, you know, all, all three of our bands here had, had an issue with drugs that was mm. very detrimental. And, and so it's, it just, it was disheartening for me because I felt like no matter what I did, I was going to be impacted by somebody else's drug use. Right. And that's, that is how it happens. A lot of times if, if just one member of a band is struggling, it does impact the whole band. It impacts their families. It impacts so much more than just that one person. It sure does. Now I've, I, I've said it a million times and you know, it's, the stories are always told about Brad during those sessions and that he really got out of hand, but it's also said a lot that kind of showed up to Texas and there really wasn't a full album ready to go. And Brad was still trying to write songs and come up with ideas. And, um, you know, you listen to a lot of people from the band and from the crew and they like laugh about it. Like, wow, yeah, we were on our way to Texas and we didn't know what we were going to do. And, um, I, I imagine that Brad certainly felt that pressure to to put together a beauty. And I mean, fuck, he certainly did. But I, I can't imagine what he felt as a musician going to record his first big, you know, studio backed album and not really have a full album. Well, you know, we didn't let it stop us. Um, you know, the the big thing was to get the band comfortable in the studio to where they could play the way they play, you know, like live. Because they're they're very live oriented, and, and even in the studio, um, right? There was not very, that much overdubbing done. It was the way they played it, and what would happen is they 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 had they came with a lot of ideas to the studio, 
And so they'd play an idea or two, and it'd usually be like six to eight minutes long, these rambling things. And then they'd go out. Uh, Willie's studio also had a nine-hole golf course. And so they'd go out and play around a golf. When they'd come back, I'd, I'd have cut the tape up and made those eight-minute songs down to three minutes. Wow. And, and so that, that kind of helped, like, like firm up the ideas. And then, then it was up to, to Bradley to come up with lyrics. And uh, after we recorded it at Pattern Alice, we went to uh, Arlen studio in downtown Austin to record overdubs and to mix. And he still didn't have a lot of lyrics. And they booked a show somewhere out of town that, that they needed to leave the studio for to go do. And I, I wasn't real happy about that, but they were going to do it. So they did it. And uh, right before they left, we were doing lyrics to one song and, and uh, Bradley didn't have lyrics. And, and so he just started singing the most vile, disgusting stuff I've ever heard in my life. It was hysterical. I mean, I, I loved it to me. I, it would have been, it would have been on the record like that, but you know, and then they went and played this show and, you know, I comped the vocals together and, and we made a mix of the song. And when they came back, played it for him and, and Bradley looked really shocked. Like, Oh, I, I can't have that on a record. <laughs> And that, that, I think that kind of kickstarted him to, to really get serious and write lyrics. So mm. we, we developed a routine where uh, engineer Stuart Sullivan and uh, Miguel and I, we would, we would be in the control room working on whatever we needed to work on while Bradley was in the back room with his notepad and a pencil coming up with lyrics. And whenever Brad said he wanted to record vocals, we would just immediately stop what we were doing. And the microphone was all set up. And so he'd go in there and he'd get stand in front of the microphone and we'd sit quietly in the control room and listen to him like breathe and snort and scratch and <laughs> write a few more, write a few more lyrics and erase a few more lyrics. And that could go on for 10, 15 minutes. Then he'd say, okay. And then you hit record and it was just pure gold would come out of his mouth. It was, wow. it was incredible. Just that guy could sing. He could play guitar mm. and he could sing. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so funny hearing you say, I, I can't even fathom the lyrics that Brad heard back and realized that he had to change them because some they of the are stuff firmly, that, they are firmly etched in my mind. They, <laughs> well, I, there, there's I, I an smile amazing, every time I reminisce. There's an amazing video of his son on YouTube, uh, Jacob Knoll, at a... Uh, <clears throat> fourth of july party on the beach with a ton of people out on the beach and his band's playing and he starts kind of singing a real nice song and you know it's just kind of in the background and everybody's partying and it's uh it's an interesting song so for those of you that want to you just look up jacob noel dick like mine on youtube <laughs> and you will you will find it and uh, i i sent a video to kelly and i said god just just like his old man he can sing yeah. a song and it sounds so beautiful and it sounds like this great song until you stop and listen to what he's actually saying uh which luckily nobody on the beach was so yeah <laughs> like father like son huh jacob sounds sounds a lot like his dad it's it's darn right spooky he does and it's it's crazy because he has strived for so long to have his own sound but he does he you just can't deny when you hear him and especially when you see him the same mannerisms and you know, ways of speaking and moving and performing that are just so similar. It's eerie, but, you know, definitely like father, like son. I, I'm not sure if I've shared this story on that podcast or just with you, Jarrett, but um, in that same vein, one time, uh, Jacob and I were over at my mom's house and she wanted to hear Jake play. It was when he was a teenager. And so, you know, she hands him the guitar and he starts strumming and doing this beautiful acoustic version of a song. And, and my mom's just, you know, sitting there listening, not really paying attention to the lyrics, fortunately, because he was doing Nirvana's rape me. (laughs) (laughs) Now now, who chooses to do that when their grandma says, play me a song (laughs) to go with rape me. But anyway, yeah, very, very much like his father. That is a dry sense of humor. Exactly. And, and, exactly. And Bradley had a very dry sense of humor. I mean, yes. It, working with him, I, you know, I'd look at him and he, he always seemed to be like deep in thought about something and he looked concerned a lot. And, and I was worried that, that he wasn't happy. And, 
Um, but then he would he would pull off the funniest jokes and just never break <laughs> never break face. You know, he was one of his favorite gags in the studio was at the end of the night when it was time to go home. I'd come out, he'd be sitting on the sofa next to Lou Dog, and he'd call my name. And as soon as I'd look over, he'd have Lou Dog by the tail and would just stick his thumb up Lou Dog's butt. <laughs> and he did. He must, oh. he must have done that like he must have done that six or seven times. Poor Lou Dog. <laughs> Oh, Lou Dog was unfazed. He poor, didn't poor it. Paul. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it gets worse than that too. If you want to hear it, <laughs> sure, you were more traumatized than Louis. Louis was not surprised by that behavior at that point. I'm sure. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, you're a brave man for taking on that project. That's for sure. But hopefully, it was worth it for you. Well, yeah. I mean, it's to be able to be a part of something that that's in the overall scheme of things, so that grand, mm. I mean, shoot, that's like the pinnacle of my career. So, yeah. Now that's saying a lot because you've done quite a lot of impressive things. Did you work with any other bands that were quite as much trouble <laughs> in the recording process? Oh, you know, I worked with a lot of bands and, and everybody has their own kind of trouble. I, you know, back when I first started working with other bands, I, you know, we had a studio out in Driftwood, Texas that we were recording butthole surfers and, some friends of ours came to town and wanted wanted me to help them record something. So I got in the control room and one of the guys started farting in the control room. And I told him if he did it again, I was leaving and he did it again. And I left. So- oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> we don't fuck around in the control room. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, you can't be shitting your pants in there when stuff's trying to get done. I, I totally know. Yeah. It's, it's well, rude. Especially, answer- when, especially when you're working for free. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. You got to draw the line somewhere. I got to ask you, when when you guys finished self-titled, uh, or at the time, I guess, killing it, um, and you had this thing in the can, did you know what you had? And I mean, I guess it's it's easy to say in hindsight, but the album's iconic. The songs are going to live forever. I mean, you hear what I got in video games and you hear it in grocery stores. Uh, did you realize at the time, like, we're sitting on a hit record here? No, I, I never had that that realization. I was, you know, fairly shell-shocked by the process. It was just hell-bent on trying to, to get something finished so, you know, so we'd have a, an album that could come out and, and I'd get my second half of my advance. And uh, <laughs> I, never, I, I just never stopped to con- consider the possibility that it would you know, sell millions and millions of records and and all that. It wasn't wasn't until I, until I started hearing it on the radio that it really sunk in. Yeah, I think it was definitely the the continued radio play that after a while had us all kind of going, "Wow, wait, there's there's something to this." You know, it's I think it's hard to separate your and I don't I don't know I'm not a producer I can't speak for you. San, but. San, Santa Rita was on the charts for uh, a year and. Gosh. That was the second single, and and when they wanted to come out with the third single, they had to call up the radio stations and ask them to stop playing Santa Rita so that we get, <laughs> to get to the third single. And I've I've never heard of that. You know, you hear people trying to get their songs on the radio, and wow, that's really impressive. I haven't heard that. That's cool. I, saw, I, I saw a YouTube video once of some kids in the Philippines in an alley, you know, playing Santa Rita on toy guitars and plastic buckets oh, and that, that wow. was just that was pretty awesome that yeah incredible. It, it's really reached around the world now do you remember obviously what i got santeria um doing time uh, wrong way there was a lot of hits that came off of that do you remember was there a song that brad was particularly proud of or one that he would have kind of considered his baby off of that album no, nothing of nothing of the sort. <laughs> he was just so busy trying to come up with lyrics, and and yet, and fortunately, he he did. You know, by the by the time the session fell apart and and had to send the band home, there was just like a couple of guitar pieces that needed to be done, and I just did those myself just to get them done. I'm but, sure at uh, that point you were just ready to be done with the whole thing. Well, I can re- I can remember it's like uh, the band left, and S- Stuart Sullivan, the engineer, we were. Uh, we were sitting behind the console and we sat there silent for a minute and we looked at each other and Stuart goes, wow, it's so peaceful. (laughs) (laughs) 
I remember those feelings whenever Brad was not home. <laughs> but I think, I think as back to your question, Jared, about, you know, did you know that you're creating hits? I don't know if it's like this for you, Paul, but I know as, you know, a, a family member and, and hearing the music, I was never really judging it as a, hey, is this going to do well? It was just a sense of, wow, I'm so proud of Brad for creating this. I'm so proud of him and his band. I'm so proud of what they're doing. This is great music. And and for me, I never really thought, you know, much beyond that about how other people were going to receive it. I would just, I knew it sounded good to me. And I thought, I thought that was great, you know? So it's not like I ever thought, no, it wasn't going to be great. It's just, I just knew at that moment how proud I was. And, and it was difficult to sort of, take myself out of that to see beyond what it was. Is there, is there any part of that that rings true for you? That's, I got sidetracked thinking about something you'd mentioned a second ago. <laughs> it was, uh, Sorry, what, what were you thinking about? Let's go with your thoughts. Well, yes, if there was a, a song that, that Brad was, you know, particularly yeah. proud of and, and while he didn't, there was one that I did and it did not make the album. And um, oh. it they did the song, they recorded it, and uh, Bradley sang the vo vocals live. He didn't have the chorus vocals written yet, but he did have the verses written. So he sang the verses, and then during one of the choruses, he he just vamped, you know. And mm -hmm. the vamp was the vamp was spectacular. You know, there was, mm. wasn't any lyrics to it, but it was just fun to listen to. And mm. and so I copied that vamp and plugged them over the, the other choruses. And to me, that song was, would have been the single. I thought, man, this is the single. This is, this is it, oh. you know? And, and, uh, it was, did make the, the album and I was disappointed. And then about 10 years ago or so, I was listening, listening to Sirius XM to their, whatever station that was playing that kind of stuff. And the song comes on and I'm like listening to it going, that is the most incredible sounding song I've ever heard in my life. And, and that's a really great song. And, wait a second. I remember that song. And it, <gasps> it was that song. It eventually did get released. Do you remember what it was? This is the embarrassing part. I can't <laughs> remember the name. Uh, it does have a name and, and it, it did get some, some airplay somewhere. Wow. Okay. Now I have to know if it comes to you in the middle of the night, please feel free to text it to me. <laughs> I, I will. I will. I'm, I'm having a serious brain fart to not be able to rec remember the name. That's all right. Maybe it'll come to you before the end of the podcast. Feel free to yell it out <laughs> at any moment. <laughs> well, um, so now what are you working on these days? Um, I'm working with a, uh, a singer songwriter who, I don't know if you remember a movie a while back called love and a 45. Yeah that was uh, one of Renee Zellweger's early movies. And uh, this fellow, Cardi Talkington, uh, he wrote and directed the movie. And uh, then he decided he wanted to, you know, take up music. And so I'm working on some stuff with him. And, and uh, Renee is actually going to sing some harmony vocals. She's going to be in town next week and we're going into the studio. So I'm going to get to record Renee Zellweger. Wow. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. And then uh, I'm also in the process of recording an album with, with my current band, the cocky bitches. Uh -huh. So, and how's and, that uh, going? Uh, well, it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I love, I love my new band. You know, we're, we're a three piece mm -hmm. and, um, and I, I get to do a lot of fun stuff at home while I'm sitting around drinking champagne and <laughs> farting around in the studio. And then uh, the other thing is, is that there's uh, currently in the works, there's a, a documentary on uh, on the butthole surfers. Oh being, wow! Being produced by uh, uh, Tom Stern, who we've known since the late '80s, and he's he's a brilliant comedic writer. He's written for you know everything from SpongeBob SquarePants to you know all kind of stuff. And he he'd made a um, a video of the butthole surfers back in like 1989 or something. Him him and actor Alex Winter came to town, and uh, we filmed a short movie. And they were gonna, they were gonna pitch it to the movie companies for a full feature length movie starring the Butthole Surfers, and the movie got picked up. And uh, whoever picked it up, I think it was Fox or somebody like that, uh, decided that the Butthole Surfers weren't going to be in the movie, and they replaced us with Keanu Reeves, Mr. T, Brooks Shields, Randy what? Quaid. I mean, it, it was an all star movie. And then the, 
And then after the movie was made, the guy that was uh, behind the movie at, at the movie company left his job. The new guy that came in hated the movie. And so it got, it never got released. It was shelved. <gasps> oh, wow. But it's kind of, it's kind of a cult classic now. It's called Freaked. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to, to watch. Uh, they they recently ran across a 16 millimeter copy of that movie and and played it at the uh, Egyptian Theater in in Los Angeles. Yeah, and uh, it was it was a, a really fun event. Um, they had a lot of the actors from the movie come in and and talk about it. And, and I the fun part was I got to play guitar live with the movie. Oh, and, how fun! And, 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 yeah, that was a lot of fun. You don't get to do that every day. When can we expect the documentary to be released? I'm sure it'll be at least a year. But in the okay. meantime, I've pulled, I've pulled out a lot of old butthole surfer tapes out of our storage, and I'm in the process of trying to get them converted to digital so that I can remix and remaster some of our back catalog. And hopefully that'll, that'll be available to re- release when the movie comes out. So, Oh, that's fantastic. Well, you're going to make and a ho- lot of listeners happy when, you, when they hear hopefully that. that. Hopefully that'll be the end of my career and I can retire. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> just what relax. And retiring? <laughs> I, I thought I tried to retire, a, you know, like three years ago. And so I just stopped working. And uh, then after a while, I was like, God, I just... I, I I really want to do it again, so I'm back at work again. Yeah, I pulled I pulled that same shit, and uh, everyone was like, "Hey, man, you're 35. You got to get a fucking job." So uh, <laughs> retiring retiring didn't work out for me a few years ago. So I'm I'm back at it again. But I gave it a shot. It wasn't it wasn't for me. Apparently, I was okay with it. Turned out everybody else thought it was a little weird. So I dove so back much. into the workforce. <laughs> and how does your wife feel about that, Paul? Does she? want more time with you or would she prefer that you spend a little more time away? <laughs> well, what the, the cool thing is when I work, it's usually at home. Ah, I, you know, I, have, okay. I have a studio in the house. Occasionally I'll go out of town. Sometimes I work in a studio called Sonic Ranch, which is yeah. uh, outside, outside of El Paso. And that's, that's a really fun studio to record mm-hmm. in. It's, it's so far in the middle of nowhere, but you know, I'm a, I'm a homebody. I like working in my studio in the back and I've got, you know, a pretty neat setup that's custom tailored for my desires and needs. So that doesn't suck. It's pretty fun. Oh, bad. How long have you been married? Uh, 19 years. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. I, I, I hit the jackpot. That was, you know, Aww. I think sublime and, and my wife were the two best things that happened to me in my life. Oh, I hope she hears this. You know, uh, major points. <laughs> and you guys have date night tomorrow night. I know we talked about recording tomorrow night, and you were so sweet. I can't do it. I have a date night with my wife. I'm like, you don't have to explain anything to me. <laughs> well, it's, yes you know, we have, we've had the we've had the reservation for a month, and she wow. works. A, she works an awful lot. She works for ESPN uh, doing oh, wow. sports, and so her days are very long. And she goes into work early and comes home late. And oh gosh. She keeps she keeps up a schedule that I wouldn't be able to pull off. She's she's a workhorse. She's wonderful. Wow, wow. So is it a special occasion tomorrow night or just date night? Just date night. You know, this awesome. we go to this little oyster house that probably has like six tables, and it's mm. uh, it's it's pricey, but they have the best damn oysters. You know, from Prince Edward Island and Massachusetts and Maine, and, and we love oysters, and the, they sell them the best. They're the freshest. Wow. And, uh, so we, we look for it's a special occasion kind of place, but every once in a while we just have to go to go. That's awesome. That's important. You got to do those special things together. Remember your priorities. Well, now we, know why Paul, now we know why Paul tried retiring. Mama's out working hard for ESPN, putting in these 80 hour weeks. Paul's like, hey, I can just kick back and retire here. I, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. She never, she never said anything, you know, that's. <laughs> She's a good woman. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Paul. We sure appreciate you taking the time, like I said, and it really is a huge honor. Um, Jarrett and I are trying not to, you know, fan out here, but you are, you are legendary, especially in sublime circles. And you should be very proud of the work that you've done and how long it has endured and how long it will endure well beyond you, I'm sure. So um, thank you for that. And thank you. I've heard, you know, little stories here and there about, how things went in the recording studio and 
you know, how you were concerned about what was going on with Brad. And, and I'm sure that was not an easy position for you to be in. So thank you so much for, for putting up with that and, and for handling it with so much class and grace. I sure appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me on. It's been fun talking to you. Well, thank you. You guys have a wonderful time tomorrow night at the Oyster Restaurant. And um, again, thank you so much. And hopefully we can get you back on again sometime to talk about the documentary or the new album or whatever else you have that you wanted to talk about. Anytime. Thank you so much. You have a great day. Thanks, Paul. Well, Kelly, another amazing house guest, another amazing chat. And this one really is one that we've been talking about for so long. I'm so happy you were able to get this together. Um, having a legend like Paul on and and obviously with him having the ties to Brad and the iconic album that is self-titled Sublime. What a treat. Right? I'm so grateful that he was willing to do that. I know you always say, you know, I've got the connection stuff, but I really don't. Like I just, I reached out to him on Facebook and he was so generous and so gracious about, you know, giving us the time. And we had to reschedule with him a couple of times. He's just such a great down to earth guy. I was really blown away at how humble and, you know, just really unassuming he was. And I have so much respect for the work that he's done that it was just was really, really awesome to see that he's also just a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Just an awesome dude. Date night. Yeah. He's out there shucking oysters, just making it, it happen still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so thank you so much, uh, Paul, for coming on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody, I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed doing it. You know why we're doing it. We're raising money and awareness for the Knoll family foundation. You can go ahead and click the link tree in the description of this show and it'll get you to all things Knoll Family Foundation, uh, let you know how you can get included, how you can help out, how you can make a donation, how you can buy some awesome merch, or just some links that you can help share to uh, spread the word because it all goes a long way and we can't thank you enough for all the support. Absolutely. And, you know, as far as those links, make sure to keep uh, to follow the Knoll Family Foundation and keep in touch with everything that's going on because we have some really exciting stuff coming up in the future and I'm so stoked about it. Um, not the least of which is a new Bradley's House blend coffee by our good friends at North Coast Roastery in Oceanside, owned by the same people that own the Switchboard Restaurant. So if you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you've heard us talk about the Switchboard Restaurant in Oceanside. Amazing food and wonderful people. The owner, Kevin Shin, is just a great human being. He reached out to us initially and has been so supportive of the foundation and has been helping to spread the word and helping to raise money, come up with all these ideas. And now the latest thing is this coffee. And as a coffee drinker every single day, that is one of my vices. Um, I'm super excited about it. And he was so cool enough to let me and Jacob go down there and, and taste the coffees and give our input. And so that's going to be coming out really soon. I'm so excited to be sharing that with everybody. And the packaging is going to be so great with Justin Ultisig's artwork. And it's, it's wonderful. And anyway, it's just, it's on my mind because Kevin just sent over the, the proofs of the, the artwork for the bag this past week. And I'm getting all excited about it again, but that should be really, really cool. And some, some other pins and stuff we're working on some, some shirts, some really cool stuff coming up. So I'm, I definitely encourage people to, to follow us on social media so that they can find out about all of that. And while we're mentioning social media, I do want to say some thank yous, a huge thank you to our social media director, Jen Armstrong. She is amazing. Not only does she work with a bunch of different bands, she she's all over social media. See, I guarantee you've seen her post, whether you realize it or not. She does all of the posting for the Knoll Family Foundation. And that has been such a huge blessing for me to take the pressure off of having to do all of that. And she's so much better at it than I am. And she just has handled everything. This last month was really crazy for a, a lot of us for, you know, just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things happening. And um, I was so grateful for her that she took up the slack on that and just really powered through. And if it was, if it weren't for her, there would have been nothing posted on the Noel family social media all the month of February. So thank you so much to Jen. And I, I want to say a huge thank you to Brindy Pepper as well, who is on the board of directors for the foundation. Uh, we've talked about her before, but she, um, she helps me run the foundation. She is absolutely invaluable in everything we do. She helps me with the merch order. She helps me with all the events. If you've ever come up to a booth at an event, uh, you've met Brindy. She's always there and 
she's just an amazing human being. She's got an incredible story. She is um, just, she's a wonderful person and I'm so grateful. And she does all of this out of the goodness of her heart and her love for the music and her desire to see people recover. And um, she's, she's amazing. So anyway, and I'm so appreciative of course, for you, Jarrett and for Anna, our producer, you guys are wonderful. You guys were such a great help at Cali vibes. You did that whole show at Alex's um, just so much that went on in the month of February that, that you guys were there for me. So I don't often get a chance to say thank you to all of you guys, but, but the four of you just made such a huge difference for me this past month. And I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, well, thank you. And I am very fortunate to be in uh, such good company. Um, a lot of, a lot of estrogen going around. <laughs> in our um, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, a hell of a crew we have. And, uh, um, yeah. Jen, Jen is amazing. Um, even though she's a Ravens fan, she still somehow is able to, uh, to get all of this stuff done. So um, I, I rag her a lot about her football team. I was going to uh, say, is that football? I felt like that's that was football. football. Yeah. It's okay. football. You know, it's funny. You bring up Brindy. Um, I spend, uh, I spend a lot of time each day thinking about Brindy's little jacket. <laughs> it's really weird. I don't know why, but it comes up in different times throughout my day. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Brindy's got that, that tiny little jacket, but it just, it just goes on her so well, but it's so well, little. She's a um, tiny little person. Um, I, you need to explain. People don't know what we're talking about with the jacket. I will tell you. So we worked at uh, the Cali vibes in Long Beach and at nighttime it get a little chilly and Brindy would put on this jacket and I guess I never really recognized because it just looks like a nice normal jacket on her uh, <laughs> until she takes it off and puts it on the back of the chair and I go to pick it up and move it and it's like a fucking doll jacket it's this dainty little I can't even believe that it's this and then it's I don't know it's like she puts it on and it turns into like a real jacket again it looks normal on a person but then it comes off and it's just like this little it's just it's the funniest <laughs> Thing. She's a um, tiny human being. She left it over here. She was over here unloading everything, some Cali vibes, and she left her jacket. And so she texted me and said, Hey, just wanted to let you know I forgot my jacket in your garage. And so I'd forgotten about it. It had been a few days. And my oldest son, Trevor, comes in from the garage and he's holding Brindy's jacket. And he says, Oh, I think Brindy left one of her kids' jackets here. <laughs> now her kids are, I don't, I'm going to mess this up, but I think they're like, eight and 11 or something. They're not, they're not very old. And so I'm like, no, no, that's actually Brindy's jacket. It's, it's a tiny jacket for a tiny human being, but she's, she's tiny, but mighty. <laughs> it, it took, it, it was really difficult for me not to put that jacket on Tommy boy, Chris Farley style and just fat guy in a little coat, that thing right at Cali what vibes. If, but, that would have been perfect. That's the perfect yeah. jacket for it. That's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know what? If I was if I was confident that I could find a deluxe super extra small to replace it, I would have <laughs> yeah. I would have done it. But I'm not sure if there's any more jackets in that size in the world. So um, there you go, Brindy. Your jacket is now podcast <laughs> famous, as are you. But um, you're right, oh, Brindy's uh, absolutely amazing. Um, yes, and uh, and of course Anna, all the work that she does. And it's yes, just, and happy belated birthday to Anna. She just had a birthday this last week. She did. And um, so I, so for her birthday, right? When it's a woman's birthday, you, it, it's anything goes for her, right? So you, you have to just, you do what you have to do. Um, so we spent her birthday uh, at the uh, RuPaul's Drag Race Live at the mm. Flamingo uh, in, <laughs> in Las Vegas. Um, which is Anna's favorite show. Um, so we, we went out and did that and it was, uh, it was fun. I, I, I had a good time. It's, I would never go again on my own. It's certainly not my form of entertainment, but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't complain one time. I You're can tell a good you that. Man. Good um, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I did that and, uh, and she was in all of her 
glory. Um, and, it, and it's so cute because, you know, and it's it's only fair because I do it to her with, uh, you know, sublime things or disc golf disc things. Disc golf, and, yes. Yeah, I'll just blow. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and she's like turning around and explaining to me like, you know, who this is and where they're from and what they're doing and how long they've been doing it and what they're famous for. And I'm just awesome. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That sounds like a really good time to me. I, I admire you for being willing to do it, but I would have loved to be there. That sounds fabulous. That's a great way to spend an evening. Yeah, it was, it was fun. And then we went over to, to Carlo's bakery to get birthday cake. Uh, and she decided she wanted birthday cannoli, which was even better for me. So, nice. uh, yeah, so we had birthday cannoli, but yeah, good. So, um, so yeah, we had a, we had a good time and, uh, in our, our trip and, uh, thank you for, uh, for showing us around and, and giving us the opportunity to do some of the cool things that we're able to do uh, for the foundation. It, it means well, a lot to us as well. It was great having you guys out here in Southern California when you were here. It was really, really fun and always a treat for me. And you do so much for the foundation that people don't even know about or realize, but I do. And I thank you very much for that. Now, another thing that we didn't mention, and this actually might be wrong to do because I don't know if there's any more left, but I do know that our friends over at law-records.com have put up a uh, pre-order, a limited amount of vinyl for the house that Bradley built. Now, for those of you that are listening, if you're hopping on law-records.com and checking and there are none available, I'm sorry. Um, but you should hop on and check it out because I do know that they were uh, limited in the amount that they that they had pressed and that you mm-hmm. could get in there and get your pre-order in. Uh, and it's an awesome looking, uh, it's art as much as it's music. It's um, beautiful, isn't it? There are oh, still gosh. some available right now as we record. I don't know if there still will be once this airs uh, in a few days, but I do know that there's some still available right now. And that's the, the orange splatter vinyl. And it is a, it's a re-release of the original, the very first release that we did with that had the two vinyl discs, the first 25 songs that were released. And it's on this really, really cool vinyl. So if you weren't able to get the vinyl before, or if you did, but you want the special edition, definitely go check it out while you can. Yes. And of course, a huge shout out and thank you to our friends over at Law Records. Uh, summertime's coming up fast. Shows are getting booked. Bands are getting out on tour. Um, we've got some exciting stuff coming up. So make sure you are following the Knoll Family Foundation on whatever form of social media you prefer. Um, we're out there. We're putting posts out. We're keeping everybody updated. Um, now, Kelly, at the end of our podcast, we always like to send everybody off with a song. Obviously, music's a big deal here. So uh, we're not going to cut that this week either, even though... Um, we didn't have a traditional artist from the house that Bradley built. We typically would go to something from that. But when you have a legend on, sometimes you got to break protocol a little bit. Absolutely. And honestly, we could play, you know, so many songs off the self-titled album that he was a part of, but I really think it would be super appropriate to end the show with my favorite butthole surfer song, Pepper. All right, guys. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Paul. Until next time, I'm Jared Orr. She is Kelly Noel. You don't have to go home, but It's time to leave Bradley's house. Sharon's outlook on the topic of
pursuit in fiery auto crashes. Some will die in hot pursuit while sifting through my ashes. Some will fall in love with life and drink it from a fountain that is pouring like an avalanche coming down the mountain. I don't mind the sun sometimes, the images it shows. I can taste you on my lips and smell you in my clothes. Cinnamon and sugar. Show.